Turn to two places in Scripture, if you would. Turn to Luke chapter 2 and Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 and Luke 2. You have been through the preparation for the Christmas season. Now, you've heard the Christmas songs on the radio. You've heard them in the stores. You've heard them at the mall if you chose to venture out into a place like that. You've heard people who never speak the name of Jesus Christ talking about Jesus Christ and celebrating his birth. But did you know that if you stop most people on the street and randomly ask them what the, uh, what the Christmas Day was really all about, they would have no good answer for you. If you ask them why did Jesus Christ come, they would have no idea what to tell you as far as why Jesus Christ truly came. And so that's the question I want to pose to you this morning as we start. I want to ask you the question, why did Jesus Christ come? Now, if you stop folks on the street, some would say he was a, to be, came here to be a great teacher. Others would say he came here to be a great example to us. Some might say he came to bring peace on earth and bring people together. And yet none of those things really expresses the reason why Jesus Christ came. Luke in his gospel gives us the reason why Jesus Christ came to this earth. In fact, I believe it's the central verse in the book of Luke. And it answers this very question. Look at Luke chapter 19 and look at verse 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke says there very clearly, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus Christ come? Jesus Christ came to seek out those who needed salvation, and he came to bring salvation to them. And there is no other reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth. Now, he had other effects on this earth when he came. He was a great teacher. He certainly did provide a great example to us that we, uh, to, for us to live by. He did come to bring peace on earth to the nations and to the people on the earth. But none of that matters if a person first does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. The central purpose of the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ was so that every person on earth could have sin forgiven and have fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. That's why he came. And even though we know that Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th, we choose this day to celebrate the Lord's birth onto this earth. And we do that because of the central reason why he came. He came to bring salvation to those who are lost. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 2 now, if you would, and look at our text for this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 25 and read down through verse 38. Luke chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do that for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Father, take now, I pray, this message, and use it for your glory. And I pray, Lord, we might separate from our minds now anything that might distract us. Lord, keep us from hearing what you'd have for us this morning. Lord, may your word come out clear and plain, and may you do your work through it. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there you have a man by the name of Simeon. And if a person read that passage this morning, and that's all they read, that's all they would need to know as to why Jesus Christ came. Now, a number of different characters, as you are aware, make up the Christmas story. Uh, some of them enter the story before Jesus Christ was born, some are there at the time of his birth, and some appear after his birth. 
And one of the Christmas figures that appears in the story soon after Jesus Christ is born is an old man by the name of Simeon. And you saw him here in this passage. And God uses this old man to deliver a great truth as the reason for our Lord's birth. And so what I want to do this morning simply is look at the testimony of Simeon. And in that, we're going to see a truth that was declared from the very beginning of the Lord's birth. We're going to see that from the very beginning of the life of Jesus Christ, that life was designed to bring about some very specific things. And what we will hear, what we will see in this encounter this morning with Simeon are the same things that every person on earth needs to hear and be aware of, even those sitting here or listening this morning. The message and the life experience of Simeon is a message for the world because it is a message that gets to the heart of why Jesus Christ came. And so go back to verse 25 now, if you would. And the first thing we want to see in this passage is the presentation of Jesus Christ. The presentation of Jesus Christ. It was customary once a child was born uh, to bring him to the temple or her to the temple uh, to the priest. And it was in some ways like a baby dedication we might do in our churches today. And by doing this, it showed to the people around them that they intended to rear their child in the ways and the customs of the Jewish faith. And so even though Jesus Christ was not like any other child that had ever been born, the parents still wanted to do the right thing by him and present him to the, in the temple to the priest. This is the first time Jesus Christ has been seen in public uh, since his birth. The only people that have outside of the family that have seen Jesus Christ up to this point are the shepherds. And so what we are reading here is the first public appearance of Jesus Christ. And notice that no matter how humble the circumstances around Jesus Christ may be, there is always somebody in the vicinity who honors him. Look at verse 25 again. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, notice he praises Jesus Christ at that point. He praises the Lord. You see, here is Jesus Christ being presented. And no matter how humble the circumstances are that surround Jesus Christ again, there's always somebody in the vicinity who praises him and honors him. You are very much aware of the story. He was born in a manger, in a stable, in a little town called Bethlehem, a little town with no particular notoriety, and there was no fanfare and no ceremony when Jesus Christ was born. And yet, as humble as that birth was, angels in heaven announced the birth of the Savior. Now, here we have this common Jewish family bringing their child into the temple, like every other Jewish family does. And yet, it can't be done quietly. Simeon, and you'll see also later in that chapter, Anna is also there, and they're in the temple that day. And when Jesus Christ shows up, they proclaim to all who are there who this person is and why he has come to this world. And these occurrences are proof that this child was no ordinary child. This child doesn't go anywhere without somebody somewhere proclaiming who he really was. I'm not going to have you turn there this morning, but in Luke chapter 19, the Pharisees are, the Pharisees are upset. Because of the praise and adoration that Jesus Christ is receiving uh, from, from the people around. And the Pharisees asked the Lord to stop them from doing what they were doing. Here's what Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 40. He says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus Christ told them, if these people don't praise me, the inanimate parts of creation, the rocks and the trees and the mountains are going to praise me instead. 
Because he is the creator, and because he is the one who set the foundations of the world, and because he is the one who set up everything that we see and everything we can't see, there is no way that Jesus Christ can come onto the scene without praise being the result. Jesus Christ holds all things by the word of his power, and so praise is a natural result of a confrontation with Jesus Christ. And it's not as though God has to organize some pep rally when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene. The natural response of creation is to praise the creator, that one who made all things. Now, as I consider that truth, I realize there are times in my own life when I don't praise the Lord as I should. I mean, if there was ever a group of people who ought to be in a constant state of praise to our God, it's those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Christians are the only people on earth, please hear me, they are the only people on earth, in spite of what you hear from everybody else, they are the only people on earth who truly have an understanding of who God is and why Jesus Christ came. All religions are not the same, folks. They're all not teaching the same thing. There is only one group who know Jesus Christ and God personally, and that's those who have trusted him to be their savior. We have partaken in God's divine nature. We have God's spirit residing inside us. We have tasted of God's goodness. We have no excuse or no reason for us not to be in constant state of praise to God for what he's done for us. And if I don't praise God, I'll speak for myself this morning. If I don't praise God, I am demonstrating to this world I don't have as much sense as a rock or a tree or a mountain does. (laughs) The rocks and the trees and the mountains know who Jesus Christ is and they praise him. As a child of the king, it should be a natural process for me to go through my day in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord. When the Lord comes onto the scene, praise should and must be the natural reaction. And so Jesus' parents bring Jesus into the temple to present him to the priest. And it just so happens, as they arrive, Simeon is there. But I want you to understand, this is no coincidence that Simeon appeared that day. Notice in verse 27, it says, Simeon came by the Spirit into the temple. He came by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God led him to the temple that day. Three times in verses 25 through 27, it is mentioned to us that the Holy Ghost was orchestrating all the events of that day. Simeon was there because the Holy Spirit had led them there. Uh, Simeon had a job to do, and the Spirit of God made sure that he was was where he needed to be to make that happen. Now, in passing, let me say this to you. If you are a child of God here this morning, and if you are seeking God's direction, there are no coincidences in your life. Take that word out of your vocabulary. It doesn't exist in the life of a child of God. It simply doesn't. You see, God makes sure to let us know that every step we go on, he is leading us on those steps. Every time God leads, every time God speaks, he leads us in some particular way. If you are a child of God, I want to tell you, there is no such thing as luck in your life. I cringe when somebody says to me, good luck, or says to me, best of luck. I retired this past week, and many of the folks that I talked to said to me, good luck on your retirement. And I know what they're trying to say. I get it. But I want to tell you something, folks. There's nothing that happens in my life out of luck. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the same is true of you. Let me read your verse here this morning. Psalm 37, 23. This verse says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Luck has nothing at all to do with anything that happens in my life. Every step that I take is ordered by God. And God never takes me any place where he does not have something for me to do. And the same is true of you this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. 
There is not a day that goes by in your life where God does not place you into a situation where he wants you to do a work in you and through you. And I think we miss him only because we're not aware that he's working in us and through us to present those things to us. If Simeon had disobeyed God that day and disobeyed God's leading, had gone somewhere else that day, he would have missed the chance to see Jesus Christ in public for the first time and do a work for God that was recorded in God's word for all of eternity. Now, this week, this month, you're going to walk out your door. You're going to go somewhere uh, to fulfill your days uh, through the week. Wherever you go... Whatever you are doing, it would be wise for all of us to keep both eyes open and both ears attentive to the leading of the Spirit of God. God is always trying to lead you somewhere. He always has something for you to do. God has a work for you to do on every day, and that work that he has for you to do is a work that will last through eternity. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. Even as you go through your day tomorrow, keep your eyes and ears open. God has something for you to do. So notice Simeon's reaction as Jesus enters the temple that day. Look at verse 28. He said, then took he up, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, he took Jesus Christ in his arms and blessed God. The natural reaction when he laid his eyes on Jesus Christ was to pick him up and embrace him, embrace him. Now, that is a natural reaction to any confrontation with Jesus Christ. That is the only sensible reaction to make when a person meets Jesus Christ face to face. The Bible tells me this. The Bible tells me that every man and woman born onto this earth was made for one express purpose. We were placed on this earth to worship God. That's why you're here this morning, to worship him. That's why God placed you on this earth. It goes against the original nature of mankind, and it goes against the plan of God for people to reject fellowship with Jesus Christ, to reject fellowship with God. Now, I realize if you go out witnessing, there will be many more who will reject God's message than who will accept it. But to reject God's message goes against everything that mankind was designed to do. From a human perspective, it may seem natural to reject him, but from a spiritual perspective, that is simply not the case. Sin is what causes people to go against that which God has designed for them. And sin in no way is a part of the plan of God for his creation. When we walk out our doors, our reaction should be to embrace Jesus Christ and to show Jesus Christ. When Simeon saw the Lord, he picked him up and he embraced him. When someone took the time to give you the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was the same reaction you had. I was only an eight-year-old kid when I got saved. My dad led me to Christ. And I remember bowing by that sofa in our family room there and trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. And I was only eight years old. But I knew something had happened that day. I knew some, somehow, someway, God had come closer to me, and Jesus Christ had saved me, and my sin was taken care of, and the Holy Spirit lived inside me. I couldn't have told you that on that moment, but I knew something changed. Remember the day you got saved? I hope you do. Hope you have a day where you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. On that day, do you remember how that was? Remember the few days after, how it was for you, uh, knowing Jesus Christ had saved you and sin was forgiven? What you did, and however you did it, you embraced that message. You took a hold of that message, and the result was peace. Peace with God, and the peace of God. The peace of God comes because of forgiveness of sins. The peace of God comes because we have finally established a right relationship with the Father. But I believe the peace of God also comes because Jesus Christ, accepting Jesus Christ aligns us with the very thing we were created to do. You can't praise God until you know Jesus Christ. 
You can do all you want to. You can't praise him until Jesus Christ is your savior. And once he is your savior, God aligns you with his perfect will. And then you can praise him and embrace him. Believer, let me tell you something. That is something you should never stop doing. From the day you're born into the family of God until the day you die, you ought to praise and embrace and worship Jesus Christ. With every breath, praise and worship him. Adore this one and worship this one and celebrate this one who has done so much for us. It only makes sense for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior to embrace him. We have been saved by him. We have been passed from death unto life by him. We have victory because of him. We have new life because of him. We have life and purpose because of him. How can we do any less than embrace this one who has changed our lives? (laughs) Who has given us eternal purpose. Who has led us to all, has made all this possible in our lives today. Jesus Christ presented in the temple that day. And Simeon was there, waiting for that one who God had promised to send to redeem them. Whether he knew it or not, when Simeon came to that temple that day, I'm not sure what his thought was, why he was there, what he was really doing. He was waiting for Jesus Christ. He may not have known that. God may not have revealed that to him. As he walked into the temple that day, he was waiting for Jesus Christ to show up. That was his goal. He may not have known it. That was his goal. He was there waiting for him. Waiting for Jesus Christ. You see, folks, there are people in this world today who are doing the exact same thing. They may not know it. They may not know why they're, uh, what their life is all about, why it doesn't seem full, why it doesn't seem complete. Here's the reason why. They are waiting for Jesus Christ. And it's your job and my job as a child of God to let them know that's who they're waiting for. That's who they're waiting for. Their lives have no purpose. Some have lives that are in shambles. Some that are trying to everything they can to put put their hands on to find some way to find peace and satisfaction and hope in their life. What they're doing, they're waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus. And you need to announce to them, Jesus Christ is here. Jesus Christ has done a work for them. And if they'll take him as Savior, he will embrace them as they embrace him. And he'll save them. And life will have meaning and purpose as a result. We are here to embrace Jesus Christ to show our love for him. We are here to embrace Jesus Christ to show all of those around him what Jesus Christ, around us rather, what Jesus Christ has done for them. Next, I'd like you to see the person of Christ. The person of Christ. We see the presentation of Christ. Now I would like you to see the person of Christ. Look at verse 26. It says that, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Christ. Now that title would almost make you think that there was another Christ out there beside the one that God has sent. It's almost as though through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, God wants us to make sure at the outset we don't get fooled into accepting a Christ other than the one that has been sent. Well, if there is another Christ, who is he? If we can identify him, certainly we can avoid him and keep from being taken in by him. That name Christ you are aware of means anointed. Is there anyone else in Scripture you can recall who is given the title of being anointed? I'd like you to hold your hand there, Luke, if you would, and go to the book of Ezekiel. I know in a Christmas message you don't expect to go to Ezekiel. I'm going to take you there this morning. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Because there's someone else in Scripture who also has that title of one who was anointed. We need to be aware of this this morning. Ezekiel chapter 28, look at verse 12. The verse says this, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Thou sealest up the sum, 
full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast bent in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond. The beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Watch it now. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, I realize that verse is, is practically addressed to the prince of Tyrus. But spiritually, it is actually addressing Satan himself. And in verse 14, God calls Satan the anointed cherub. So not only is there a Christ that God has honored, Jesus Christ, but there's also one who at one time was anointed and who is now posing as Jesus Christ as well. But this one is Satan himself. In fact, in order to perfectly duplicate, duplicate the ministry of Jesus Christ, one day Satan will take on human form just as Jesus Christ did. He'll walk on this earth just as Jesus Christ did. He will not be called Christ. He will be called Antichrist. And he'll walk this earth. What Simeon does here in this verse at the first presentation of Jesus Christ is let us know that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ has produced a spiritual battle. Jesus Christ's coming has set the wheels of evil in motion, and in order to keep as many as possible from trusting the Messiah, Satan is going to attempt to duplicate his works and draw as many away as possible. And Simeon's announcement of the person of Jesus Christ sounds a warning to all who will come after. Make sure you follow the right Christ. Make sure you follow the right Christ. There is a spiritual battle going on today, folks, and it began the, the day that Jesus Christ set his foot on this earth in Bethlehem. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There may be people on this earth doing things you don't agree with. There may be people on this earth doing things that are totally opposed to what God wants. Maybe in government, maybe in the school system, maybe somewhere else. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The battle is not with them. <laughs> There's a higher battle going on. A spiritual battle, and there's a spiritual being behind that battle that is doing his very best to take down what God, God's work, uh, wants, what God wants to do on this earth. When Jesus Christ was born before anybody knew who he was, Satan knew exactly who he was. <laughs> he knew that Jesus Christ was the one who could defeat him. He knew that the baby had the power and the authority and the blessing of God the Father and all of heaven. And he knew the only way to beat this one was not through an outright battle. He knew the only way to beat Jesus Christ, if he could ever do that, was through deception. Deception. Amen. And that's been his way of operating ever since the Garden of Eden. Uh, Satan figured out that it works well enough to just keep on doing what he's doing. So he transforms himself into an angel of light, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. He'd make his works like, look like the works of God. He'd make himself presentable. He'd entice people through pleasant words and through clever disguises. He would appear as though the works he was doing were the very works of Jesus Christ himself. And he would convince people to believe in the wrong Christ. And they'd lose their souls as a result. Simeon's identification as the, in the, of the person of Jesus Christ stands as a reminder to all of those who have followed Christ. We as believers in the 21st century need to be aware of the fact that all things that look good and sound good and seem religious are not necessarily of Jesus Christ. Satan is a deceiver. Unless we think we can't be fooled by him, we need to hear the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 20, Mark 24, 24. Matthew 24, 24, rather. He says this. For there shall arise false Christs, 
and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. There are new systems of belief out there, and new presentations of religious things out there that may look good and may sound right. There are preachers out there who may speak well, who may look good, whose messages are exactly what mankind wants to hear. And all these things may have the appearance of looking and being Christian. But the Bible warns in 1 John 4, 1, that before we begin to buy into any of these things, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. For there are false prophets, John says, are gone out into the world. Take everything that we see, everything that we hear, and put those things up to the light of the word of God. That's why we need to be students of God's word. We need to know what God's word says because there are those out there, folks, who give the presentation of being religious and being Christian and their goal is to fool you. Change your mind about spiritual things. And if you compare what that person says to the word of God and there's one thing that is out of place, if there's one part that doesn't seem to match up, then we must set it all aside and not go near it. Don't go close to it. Don't even get close to it. Examine everything under the microscope of God's word, and if it doesn't match up, don't be fooled by the glamour of it. Don't be taken in by the sensational presentation of it. Don't be pulled in because the words seem right, and the results seem fantastic, and the books are being sold. Don't get pulled in by it. There are some churches doing things on TV. There are some people, some men doing things on TV and radio and so forth that seem unbelievable. And you know what? They are unbelievable, (laughs) which means don't believe in it. Because they don't match up with the teachings of the Word of God. I don't care how popular they are. I don't care how well-dressed they are. I don't care what a great smile they have. Watch what they say. Watch what they say. And if it doesn't compare to the book, get rid of it. And the book may be inspirational, and it may have great words in it, and you may like what it sounds like. If it doesn't match up to the Word of God, or if the Word of God is not in it, get out of it. Don't get close to it. Because he'll fool you. They'll fool you. And they're fooling people every day. Every day. There is one in this world who wants to look and act and speak just like Jesus Christ himself. But he is not the Lord's Christ. He is a counterfeit Christ. And if we fall for his deception, he will lead us away from the truth of God. So when Simeon announces Jesus Christ as the Lord's Christ that day, he wants to do something else, I believe, through the Spirit of God. He also wants to show us that God has placed his approval on this one who has come. This is the one that God honors. This is the one who comes with God's blessing. This is the one who God appointed to do the work on earth. And with Jesus Christ now presented publicly, and with the person of Jesus Christ identified, we can now look at the purpose of Christ. Point number three, the purpose of Christ. Why did Jesus Christ come? What is he here to do? Well, you see, folks, we couldn't answer that question until we answered the first two. Now that we have that foundation laid, now we can answer the question, why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? And Simeon, in the announcement that he makes, says the words that ring throughout all the rest of history. Through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he clarifies exactly why Jesus Christ came. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 30 one more time. He says there, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. All you need to know in those two verses. The reason that Jesus Christ came, first of all, he came to bring salvation. And not salvation just to an elect few, not salvation only to those who are given faith to trust him. The salvation that Jesus Christ brings is salvation that was prepared before the face of 
all people, all people. This is salvation made for everybody and offered to everyone. Now, this announcement makes, uh, reveals two truths about this truth, about God's salvation. First, it makes clear to us there is no validity whatsoever in the concept of predestination. There are those who say that God elects certain ones to be saved. And they are the ones through God's sovereignty have already, God has determined to, uh, who will be saved. And there's others God has determined who will be lost. And they teach that trusting Jesus Christ has nothing at all to do with our free will. In fact, they will say that a person has no free will when it comes to salvation. God decides who will be saved. God decides who will be lost. If he didn't pick you, then you have no chance whatsoever of trusting Jesus Christ and being saved. And the bottom line teaching of this teaching is that salvation is not for everybody. Salvation is only for those chosen few. And there's nothing that you and I can do about that. God made the choice. I want you to see that Simeon disagreed with that teaching. I want you to look at that verse that says there. Look at it again in verse 31. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now, I did a little research. You know what that word all means in the Greek? It means all. (laughs) It means all. That word all means all. That word all means everybody. That word all means that salvation brought salvation. Jesus Christ brought salvation to all. Either he did it or he didn't. Either it's for everybody or it's not for everybody. And if the Bible says all, then that means no one on this earth, there's no one on this earth who cannot be saved. And every disciple who followed Jesus Christ got that same message. John said this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He said that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's everybody. Paul taught this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He said, Jesus Christ reconciled the world unto himself. Every gospel writer made it clear that this salvation was for everybody. And what that means to you, believer, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior this morning, that means everybody you meet tomorrow, everybody you meet this week is a candidate for God's salvation. Everybody. Any person you deal with, any person listening today is a prospect to be saved. There is no one in this room, no one outside of this room who is not a candidate for God's salvation. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Because salvation is for all people. What it is, our job is is, is to get that message out. But I want you to see a second point in Simeon's announcement. Not only can all be saved, but all can hear if they choose to. Look at verse 31 again. He says, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. That message had been prepared before the face of all people. Look at verse 32. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The second reason that Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ came to be a light to all people. And there is no place in this world where that light of the gospel cannot reach. If you go out witnessing, you'll hear sooner or later that somebody say to you, what about the heathen in Africa who have never heard? How does God deal with those people? How can God condemn people to hell if they've never heard the gospel? Well, Simeon has the answer. The gospel light has shined to all people. The gospel light has shined to the entire world. You see, when that heathen in Africa looks at the world around him, when he sees the glory and the majesty of creation, according to Romans chapter 1, when they see what, what someone somehow has put into this earth and put onto this earth, at that point, when God has revealed his work to them, here's what he says. God says this, Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That heathen somewhere in the darkest part of this world looks up and sees that this world got here somehow. This world was created somehow. Somehow this all came here. And at that person in that darkest part of our world says, you know what? I wonder how this all came here. Well, how'd this all get here? When they come to that realization, they have a choice to make. Do they want to know more about God or do they want to go their own way? And if they want to know more about God, it then becomes God's responsibility to send somebody to them to give them the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every missionary that's called, every missionary on that board out there is out there because somebody somewhere said, I want to know more about this God. And God chose that person and said, you go and you tell them what they want to know. That's why missionaries are out there. Because somebody wants to know and God takes on the responsibility of making sure they have the light of the gospel presented to them. Some may have more opportunities than others, but everybody has an opportunity. And it all comes down to the same question that Pilate asked as he was uh, examining Jesus Christ. Pilate asked this question, folks. Here's the question for all mankind. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? There's the question. If he has revealed this light to all the world, then nobody's in the dark. If somebody wants to know, they can know. And if they want to know, or if they don't want to know, whatever choice they make, they have a choice to make personally about what Jesus Christ, what they want to do with Jesus Christ. And for every person on earth, the answer to that question determines their eternal destiny. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There's a lot there, folks. There's a lot of doctrine in those two verses. You see, there are some who are going to recognize Jesus Christ as Savior. They'll accept him. Many in this room have done that. They'll bow before him. They'll accept the free gift of salvation that he offers, as I did as an eight-year-old boy. But as Simeon, inspired by God, speaks... He also reveals a second purpose of Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ's coming. Jesus Christ came not only to be a savior, Jesus Christ also came to be a stumbling block. He came to be a stumbling block. Jesus Christ came in this world to set the standard of God's righteousness. When he showed up, God's righteousness was fully revealed. And he showed people how truly sinful they really were. He came to this earth to discern mankind's thoughts and reveal their motives. The Word of God, both in written form and the living Word, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. And so when a person comes face to face with Jesus Christ, they realize that mankind's way will not work and that Jesus Christ is the only way to have access to the love and the blessing of God. Mankind might try to do all they want to do to get to, the, get to heaven and get to God and be right with God. They can make all the effort they want to make, but when they're faced with Jesus Christ, they realize it's never going to be enough. They can't do enough. So, will they accept God's standard of righteousness in Jesus Christ? Will they surrender their own sinful direction and accept the direction that comes through the faith in Jesus Christ? And according to the proclamation of Simeon here, there are those who will rise and there are those who will fall when they are faced with that choice. There are those who will accept the gift that God offers and will find rest in him. And there are those who will reject him and choose their way over God's way. And to those who reject, Jesus Christ becomes an offense and an enemy to them. He becomes a target of ridicule and of derision. But their attacks on Jesus Christ and the rejection of Jesus Christ has only one result. 
Go to Luke chapter 20. Hold your hand there, Luke 2. Go to Luke chapter 20. Here is the result for every person who chooses to reject what God offers through Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 20, look at verse 17. It says that the stone which the builders rejected, speaking of himself, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever therefore, whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it will, shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You see, folks, there are going to be those, sadly, who will trip over Jesus Christ. He'll be in front of them, he'll present his salvation to them, and they'll trip over him, not receive him, and be broken as a result. There are those who are presented with Jesus Christ who outright reject him and eventually they're going to face him in judgment. And when that occurs, according to that verse, there's going to be nothing left of them. Nothing left. It'll grind in the powder, the Bible says. Jesus Christ came to bring salvation. He came to force all people to make a choice. A choice that began in the garden. And every person born onto this earth since that time has had to make the same choice. Which way will you take? Which way will you go? Who will you follow? Every person is following somebody. Every person is following something. Everybody's following something. Jesus Christ says, will you follow me or will you follow something else? You got a choice. Either it's me or it's anything else. But anything else you follow and someday I'm going to meet you in judgment and I'm going to grind you to powder. You see, there are people tripping over Jesus Christ every day. There are people who are presented with the gospel and trip over it because they simply don't want to submit themselves to it. And by the way, uh, there are Christians who are trip over Jesus Christ as well. There are those who made a choice to accept him as Savior, but in the matter of who controls their life, they still resist him. And the principle applies whether you're saved or lost. If you're those who reject him in salvation will face his judgment regarding, regarding eternal destiny. And those who are saved will reject his control over their lives, face judgment, regarding rewards and position in the millennial kingdom. Either way, you're going to face him. Either way. And in both cases, the judgment of God is swift, and the judgment of God is sure, and the judgment of God is final. If I was going to try to condense everything Jesus Christ came for and put the real purpose of Jesus Christ in the one statement, I could do it this way. Jesus Christ came to this earth to force every person to make two choices. First of all, he says, Will you accept me as Savior? And then, will you recognize me as Lord? First of all, will you accept me to be your Savior? And once you do that, will you recognize me as Lord over all your life? And every person on earth will rise or fall depending upon their responses to those two choices. Now, if you never made him your Savior, he is who you're waiting for this morning. You may not know that. You may have walked in here not knowing that. But if you don't know him as Savior, what you're waiting for is for him to become your Savior. And I'll tell you something. You don't want to wait another second to do that. You don't want to put that off for a minute. You need to recognize the real reason that Jesus Christ came onto this earth to save you to, and accept the forgiveness he offers through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Make that decision today. Don't wait another second. Make that decision. Now, if you've made that decision, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, then if you've not yet made him master, you're missing one of the main reasons why Jesus Christ saved you. I'm going to surprise you this morning. As a Baptist pastor, I'm going to tell you something you may not know. God did not save you to get to heaven. He didn't save you to get to heaven. Heaven is a byproduct of your salvation. That is the final resting place of our fellowship. You know why God saved you and left you here? 
to be your, his, so he could be your master. So he could control your life. So he could get you to do what he wants you to do and be your, his body on earth while you're here. And I will tell you something, folks. I will tell you this from personal experience. You will never win against him in this battle for control of your will. You'll never win. You may be fighting him. You may know what he wants you to do. You may be exactly sure what Jesus Christ wants you this morning. And you're fighting it and fighting it and fighting it because for whatever reason, you don't want to give up something or you don't want to do what he wants you to do. I'm going to tell you something. You'll never win it. You'll never win it. You'll be miserable all the way to heaven if you choose to fight it. But you'll never win it. You see, what God saved you for is to have total control over you. Every bit of you. Every part of you, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, God saved you to have complete control over you. Amen. And he won't rest till he gets it. And you won't rest till he gets it. <laughs> so if you're lost today, you need to trust him as Savior. If you're saved today, you need to surrender to him and let him do his work through you and enjoy the blessing of a life that is fully submitted to him. And I will say it to you one more time. Believer, unbeliever, don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. As Simeon did, put your full attention on Jesus Christ and do whatever it is he's calling you to do. You will never regret that decision. Bow your heads if you would.